Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today, author Gary McGugan is here to talk with us about his latest novel, A Web of Deceit, where fate, misfortune, and opportunity entangle three rivals in a quick-paced international suspense thriller. Before we get started, here is the inside scoop on Gary McGugan. Writing started for Gary after a 40-year career in the world of business. He's worked in supermarkets, sold appliances, distributed motorcycles, launched an automobile dealer network, and provided financing to help businesses grow. Every industry was very different from the other, and each company had a distinctive culture and character, but all were units of large corporations with operations around the globe. Travel has always been a large component of his business roles, and he's now visited more than 650 towns and cities in more than 50 countries for either business or leisure. Experts say we should write about the things we know best, and in Gary's case, those subjects are business, travel, and people. As an author, his goal is to entertain readers around the world, one at a time. For more information about Gary McGugan and his work, visit his website at garydmcguganbooks.com. Well, hi, Gary. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Well, thank you for having me back, Sherry. To get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your latest novel, A Web of Deceit? I'd be happy to. A Web of Deceit is uh, an international thriller with uh, three main characters. Uh, We have Suzanne Simpson, who is the CEO of a a multinational food company, a supermarket chain. Uh, We have uh, Howard Knight, who is a financial genius, but has uh, unfortunately fallen on hard times and is on the run from both uh, organized crime and uh, law enforcement. Mm And uh, mixed into that, we have Fidelia Morales, who uh, has recently become the first female head of a criminal element that we call the organization. So all three of these have very different goals, but they all become entangled in a conspiracy to steal millions of dollars from uh, legitimate business interests around the world. And I think readers of my previous novels uh, will know all the major characters, uh, but they might not recognize a couple of them. As usual, I try to transform my characters in response to the different plots and circumstances that I create. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say I loved A Web of Deceit. It was no surprise, really, to me that you turned out another high-caliber novel of intrigue. What did surprise me, though, is that it was less than one year ago when you were on the show and we were discussing your novel, Pernicious Pursuit. What inspired you to write another book so soon? Well, I guess the very simple answer to that is uh, COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, 
to be very candid, I'd originally planned to take a year off from writing during 2020. Mm -hmm. um, at that stage, I had four novels and uh, wanted to spend a little bit of time doing uh, personal appearances, which uh, are very, very time consuming. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I'd do that in 2020. And by March, I had actually scheduled 85 uh, personal appearances with uh, Indigo stores. Uh, they're the largest uh, bookstore chain in Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd love to work with their stores and their, their customers and I just watched all those opportunities evaporate mm -hmm. like everyone else as the pandemic spread. So I realized my plan to focus on promoting books in 2020 wouldn't happen anytime soon. So I decided to use that time productively and, and set out to write a, a fifth novel. And uh, with that, I, I fortunately had just completed a two-month trip to uh, four Asian countries. I was in Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, and Singapore uh, in the weeks just as the coronavirus was being detected and evolved. Mm. So uh, it was a very interesting time to be there. And I decided to incorporate a little bit of that Asia visit into the story. Mm -hmm. And I've also had a, a long, long uh, concern for uh, how organized crime is becoming increasingly sophisticated with technology. So I decided to combine those two factors and predominantly those two factors dominate uh, the plot in a, a web of deceit. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of had parts of the storyline put together in your mind prior to the pandemic. Did you add the pandemic into the storyline? It was added in by all means. And the challenge was how I would do that um, and, and not have it dominate the story. Mm -hmm. So I had the nucleus of the story in mind. And even as I was traveling through Asia and, and doing some of my, my research, I'd been thinking about our character Fidelia Morales. She did not play major roles in any of the previous four stories. Mm -hmm. And I thought she could be a very interesting character to develop, uh, given her background uh, coming from a uh, poor neighborhood in Puerto Rico and becoming a, a Columbia law student, graduating to become a lawyer and and then eventually ending up as a, a woman of the night. And uh, I thought that could be a very interesting character to develop. So once I actually decided that she would become a major character and started uh, working on A Web of Deceit, it, it came together quite quickly. Yes, it sure did. And time well spent, I might add. Well, thank you. Yeah. Now, you just mentioned one of your female protagonists, and since we're talking in March, and March is Women's History Month, I'd really love to talk about female protagonists in fiction. And first, I wanted to get your opinion. Uh, do you think uh, women are adequately represented in the fiction world? Um, I don't know that I'm qualified to say that or not. You know, mm -hmm. we the fiction world is so broad, and although I read 40 or 50 novels a year or 40 or 50 books a year, I should say. I, I don't pretend to, to have a, a full perspective on everything that's out there. But um, I, I suspect that women are underrepresented in novels as they as they are in, in most other aspects of human society on the globe today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm guessing that it parallels with kind of real world female leadership representation 
Yeah. But two of your three main characters are women in leadership positions in their respective organizations, and that's impressive. Uh, What made you decide to incorporate female leadership roles into your story? Well, a couple of things, I think. First of all, as some of your listeners may know, I had a very long business career. And uh, over that business career, I, I found that companies large and small tended to overlook the enormous potential women can can bring to a leadership equation. Um, and I decided fairly early in my uh, writing journey that as I wrote and incorporated uh, women into the stories, I try to make a conscious effort to have them, uh, if not at the summit, uh, you know, near the summit at least. It was a challenge for me, I think, in the early stage because um, I had to find a way to do the point of view from a woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. This, I think, it was a journey. Uh, in my earlier novels, I, I really worked hard to find that because, quite frankly, it didn't come naturally to me. As a guy, I not only had to imagine how a woman might perceive another character or, or an incident or a conversation, but but try to find a way to reflect that uh, potential point of view into uh, both the, the word choices and the emotions. Uh, I like to think I get better at it with each story. And uh, I think it's important to do that because uh, I think one of the best tools uh, to advance the interests and influence of women is for girls and young women to see more female leaders in different roles and capacities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering what it was like writing from the opposite sex. And I feel like you've done a very good job um, considering I mean, men and women, they, they lead differently. They think differently. Uh, they just, they just have different styles of, of doing everything, not just leadership. So, yeah, yeah. Now you talked a little bit about Fidelia Morales and her character arc a bit. What did you have in mind when you created Suzanne Simpson, your other female lead? I try to delve into the challenges that women generally encounter in the corporate world. And and one of those, of course, is the expectation among many males that uh, they aren't up to the challenges. Mm. And uh, by using my device of uh, Suzanne Simpson battling with organized crime, I think it gives a very good opportunity to portray her as both a very pragmatic and I wouldn't say fearless, but uh, but I would say a brave character mm-hmm. in that she is uh, willing to take certain risks to protect her interests at the times that she is under attack. And, and I think one of the things that makes her uh, a very interesting character to both women and men, and um, I, I work hard at trying to uh, keep polishing and evolving her character uh, so that she maintains her female empathy and some of her natural tendencies uh, and then uses those effectively in the business world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, she has, I think she has definitely evolved over the course of your novels too. Like you said, she's not fearless, but she's very motivated and she goes ahead and she jumps in anyway. So I think that is kind of fearless actually. And then one thing that I like about her that she is able to do 
which I think is so important for women to learn, um, is how to compartmentalize because that way, not every decision is emotional as it tends to be with a lot of women. I might get in trouble for saying that, but I think it, I think it's true, you know? Well, I, I agree with your perspective. Um, if we look at, um, the most successful male leaders, they are the folks that have been able to best compartmentalize their lives and be able to focus with intensity on on a given subject at a given time, regardless of what else is going on around them. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually tried to keep that very much in mind with both uh, Suzanne Simpson and Fidelia Morales. Mm. Both of have, uh, in my view, an extraordinary capacity to compartmentalize. They really do. And that's part of the reason I enjoy those characters so much. Well, thank you. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of all of your characters in general, and I particularly find it entertaining when you kill off some of the key characters. And I might not always like that decision, but you do keep your readers guessing regardless. Right. What is your motivation behind your fearless deeds and how do you stay objective when deciding to dispose of a character? Well, uh, believe it or not, I, I really do try to look for a form of justice when I eliminate it. <laughs> character. Uh, in the first story, uh, Three Weeks Less a Day, uh, we, we didn't actually lose any major characters uh, and uh, each of the others we have lost uh, one or more. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I guess I don't want my readers to be entirely surprised when it occurs. I do try to uh, telegraph and and give signals, but um, when it occurs, I do want them to feel some emotion, Mm -hmm. uh, some sense of loss, maybe maybe even a little bit of regret. And uh, of course, as a cold-hearted author, uh, I'm not doing (laughs) job if, if I don't make a decision to eliminate well in advance of the actual deed. And I try to do that quite candidly based on how useful I think that character might be in future stories. And those that I think that I can use multiple times in the future uh, are going to find ways to keep surviving and and others, unfortunately, will will have to uh, move aside. Have you ever had any regrets about killing off a character? Yeah, my only regret so far, uh, in retrospect, was letting John George Mortimer, the the founder of my fictional Multima Corporation, um, I let him die from cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't wasn't a cold hearted hit or uh, organized crime that got to him. It was it was cancer. And in retrospect, I now realize that it might have been useful for me to, in subsequent novels have him around to drill down on some of the the hope that cancer victims now have and explore some of the uh, changes to his personality that might have evolved mm. had he survived longer. That's the one, one regret I had, and it's not earth-shattering to me, but uh, I think that could have been one of the uh, avenues that I might have explored a little bit better. Right, right. Yeah, I remember his character. He was one of my favorites from the beginning. Now, you mentioned that COVID inspired you to write a new novel. How else has the pandemic altered your life? 
Well, I think that, you know, the short answer to that is that the the pandemic has really changed everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, starting with my writing, when I first started to think about putting a web of deceit together, I came to the conclusion that it probably could not be a realistic story taking place in 2020 uh, if it didn't include the pandemic in some way. Mm-hmm. My challenge as I saw it then, was to create a plot that included COVID-19 to some extent, but not allow the virus to dominate the story. And uh, I think I achieved that balance where I associate with uh, Suzanne Simpson and some of the decisions that she had to make in her business uh, activities running a supermarket with some of the real world situations that happened with COVID. And it was also useful to get some of the descriptions of uh, going through customs and immigration in, in areas like Singapore and Canada and so on. Uh, But um, I don't think any of these dominated the story. Uh, In fact, I would say they really just served to, if I may say, uh, strengthen the credibility of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was like a timeline almost and and going back and saying, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened, when when grocery stores started running out of products and people started hoarding things and You mentioned a little bit of that without it taking over the story. And it was an interesting addition to the storyline. And and I agree with you. You couldn't, how can you write a novel in 2020 without referencing COVID? Yeah, Yeah, well, I think uh, I I really appreciate your feedback on that because you you interpret it precisely the way I I intended uh, readers to react to the involvement of COVID. You know, once we get past the story and we talk about uh, selling and marketing the story, of course, that totally changed for me as well. Mm. Uh, One of my key uh, sales channels is the uh, Indigo stores, as I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're only uh, opening now in many markets and uh, have been closed or had very limited access, uh, pickup only, that sort of thing for, Mm -hmm. for literally months. So uh, as an author, um, we had to replace those bookshelf exposures and the and the personal appearances and now instead uh, learn to use the internet and uh, online retailers and 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 uh, zoom appearances uh, with the stores that have the ability to do that and frankly all of these are quite new to me so uh, 2020 was a, a year of learning for me on multiple levels absolutely yeah i think we've all had to learn new um communication skills and just new ways of of doing everything. It's been a challenging year, but it's been good in other ways because I know I've learned new things and I'm sure we all have. So the highlight of the 2020 year. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Now, I know you're a world traveler. How have you been coping with staying at home? And where do you plan to visit once the virus is under control and we can start traveling again? Well, as you know, I'm Canadian. But believe it or not, um, this uh, past winter is the very first winter I've spent in Canada in 25 years. Oh, my goodness. Um, I am not a cold weather kind of guy. (laughs) So uh, I had to uh, actually go out and buy an entirely new outdoor wardrobe. 
And uh, as some of your listeners may know, uh, walking is an integral part of my writing experience. Mm -hmm. I love to walk most days and uh, uh, I like to walk for one or two hours at a time. So I had to find ways to stay warm and snow and wind and uh, uh, far too many sub-zero temperatures. Uh, That that actually uh, uh, required a, a pretty positive mindset which fortunately I have, uh, it needed a fairly strict discipline, which yeah. I had less strength, but uh, I worked at it and, and uh, with a bit of dogged determination, managed to carry on and, and live to tell the story. Uh, where do I you, go? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where do I go next? You know, I've got three specific places that I'm looking forward to getting back to soon. Uh, Japan is a country that I have visited on numerous occasions, but actually haven't been there for about 15 years. Mm. And I'm interested in seeing how uh, Japan has changed as its population ages, um, as it prepared for the, uh, the Olympics, which are hopefully still going to take place there this uh, this uh, summer. Right. And uh, generally, I'd just like to get reacquainted with it. Um, Croatia and Europe is another country that I have had on my radar for literally years, but always one form of life or another has interfered with me getting there. (laughs) And uh, uh, it's high on the list. Peru is another country I have visited previously. I, like most tourists, have visited Machu Picchu and was thrilled with that. But I haven't had a lot of time in either Lima, the capital, or the towns along the coastline south of there. And I'd like to get to know that area of of South America a little bit more. And uh, of course, Caribbean islands will probably factor into my plans because uh, among this uh, COVID crisis, most of the Caribbean islands actually fared better than more of the developed countries. Really? Uh, Hmm. Yeah, uh, in uh, countries like Barbados and and, uh, St. Lucia and so on, um, part of it is climate and, uh, you know, a lot of outdoor activities still take place in those countries. But also, um, you know, from a social perspective, uh, I think they embrace the necessary disciplines of masks and that sort of thing much earlier than maybe some of the uh, more developed Western countries. And as a result, they had very few cases. And uh, if they can get some vaccinations, uh, you know, in the second half of this year, as they become more available, they may very well be some of the safest places to visit. But realistically, I think it may still be a year or even two before we can travel safely wherever we choose. It, it, It still may take a little bit of time. Yeah, I agree. I know the vaccines are rolling out everywhere, but we still have to be careful. It, it doesn't, you know, there are a lot of people that don't want to take the vaccine. So, you know, I don't know what kind of impact that's going to have on our traveling and all. But right. we'll, we'll see, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Now, travel highly influences your writing. Can you speak to the level of influence your travels have on your writing? 
Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, it has a very high level of influence. Uh, you know, I had the good fortune to live in Overveen in the Netherlands for, for several months and in Dusseldorf in Germany for, for a few years. And while I was based in those, those two cities, I had the opportunity to visit every Western European country and uh, all, certainly all of the major cities, a lot of the smaller ones as well. Mm. So, they gave me a, a significant insight about Europe that, that I can and, and do work into my stories because they are so much a part of my life and my background that I can tell the stories uh, quite naturally for my characters as well. I worked for a Japanese company for 13 years, so I uh, made several trips to Japan during that time. And, and then I had the good opportunity to build an entirely new business in Asia for four years. Uh, so uh, that really helped me to learn, first of all, how different the peoples of Asia are. Mm -hmm. uh, Countries like Japan and uh, Cambodia are very different countries, uh, both in terms of lifestyle, uh, outlook, worldview, and so on. So I think having spent significant amounts of time in both Europe and Asia outside of uh, the North American worldview that that I also lived for 30 of those 40 years uh, <laughs> gives, uh, gives me a good opportunity to compare what most of my readers will know, that being North America, with uh, some of the realities and opportunities of uh, Europe and Asia. Uh, I'm less expert on, on South America, but um, I love it there and spend as much time as I can in uh, South America and also talk about uh, things like countries like Uruguay. And as much as I like it, I haven't really worked that into my stories extensively so far. So mm. that's one that I'm putting some more focus on uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah, opportunities. Uh, so uh, what I love about reading all about the travels in your writing is uh, you may remember that I've told you last time we talked, I've only been to three countries, U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Right. So I love reading about the different places in your novels. For me, it's kind of like an armchair traveling, I guess they call it. <laughs> so. Right. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, and I think that applies to a lot of my readers, and uh, especially in a, a time like this when our travel, uh, even, even for people who are more widely traveled, just just can't do it right now. Mm -hmm. um, I think it does form a nice, a nice escape, and uh, for a few hours of reading, can do a little bit of, as you say, armchair travel. Yeah, it's absolutely been my favorite way to travel. I know that. So, you know, I have to ask, what's next? So, do you have another story planned? Uh, and uh, if so, can you give us a little sneak peek as to what it's about? Well, certainly there will be more novels. There, there is no doubt about that. Oh, um, and I'm, I'm toying with two or three different concepts. But to be very candid, they may not come out right away. There may be going to be some time after uh, 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I say that because... Uh, I'm in the early stages of perhaps developing a work of nonfiction. Oh. Uh, when I'm out on some of my promotional tours and so on, uh, one of the things that a number of readers say to me from time to time is, um, you've lived a really interesting life. You should talk a little bit more about some of the things that you've learned. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am visualizing a book that 
would take a look at some of what I would consider some of the most interesting stuff I've learned from these experiences. And if I move forward with this, and because I'm still in the, the research stage, mm-hmm. uh, I'll write it in a bit of a uh, memoir style, but not think of it as a, as a memoir. So uh, I'll actually be asking my VIP readers. These are the people who subscribe to my weekly newsletter. And uh, people that want to become part of that can do it at uh, Gary D. McGugan Books, my website. And I've asked them to share their opinion where I should put my next focus because I can't do both. And I've asked them if I should focus on another suspense thriller immediately or or explore this memoirish work of nonfiction. So I hope to get those results back within the next uh, couple of weeks. And and then I'll probably follow their advice. Oh, Uh, interesting. Yeah, well, either way you go, I I feel sure it's going to be a great adventure for you and for us when when it finally hits the, the stores, you know, so. Yeah, you can't go wrong. (laughs) Well, I think, uh, as I said, I'm still in the research stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to, first of all, make sure that there's enough interesting stuff I've learned that people are going to (laughs) to want to read the entire book. Uh, And I'm still at the stage of doing that. But uh, I'll probably follow the advice of the the majority uh, when the VIP readers let me know. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Majority rules. (laughs) Usually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gary, um, is there anything else you'd like to add today? Uh, Well, basically, I'd just like to, again, uh, give a very heartfelt thank you to you. Um, I really appreciate your interest in my stories, and I think it's wonderful the way you use your uh, platform to uh, help writers like myself become better known to your audience, and uh, I hope you keep up the great work. Oh, thank you. Well, Gary, it as usual, it's been lovely talking with you, and I thank you for joining the show today and for letting us learn a little bit more about your latest novel, A Web of Deceit. Well, thank you. It was great to be with you. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Gary D. McGugan, author of A Web of Deceit. You can learn more about Gary and his books at his website at garydmcguganbooks.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com.